All right, um, we're going to kick off the new year with a panel today, having Don, Bill, and Charles discuss some business principles with us that uh, will hopefully give us some things to think about in terms of how we do our business and how we see ourselves in our business as Christians. So, uh, Don, if y'all want to come on up now. Okay, thanks. Y'all may remember several months ago uh, we had a speaker, uh, Ken Boa, and he did a great job, but he said something uh, in, during his talk that uh, really impacted me, made me think a lot about when I was running my business and, and, and some of the evolution of that and everything. But he mentioned that when, when you got to the point where you did not see your clients or your customers as the source of your provision, that it changed the relationship that you had with them, that you no longer... Uh, might be tempted to manipulate them to to get more money from them, uh, and and focused more on true service, understanding that um, that that the Lord was was the source of your provisions and and your and would would provide and would free you up to be uh, more uh, more genuine in your relationship with clients and customers. And, and that really, I started thinking about how that had happened to myself, but not having articulated it. And so we, we're going to discuss that. It, it also, by the way, makes, makes the equation reverse, and that is it frees you up not to be manipulated by clients or customers to, to um, do things that maybe you shouldn't do or whatnot. So anyway, th that's the genesis of the questions that we're going to discuss today, and um, we've got two gentlemen here who, who are no strangers to any of y'all, but, but both of them uh, fully understand where their provision comes from and so can talk about this um, with some authority. But, but the first thing I'd like to ask, and um, Charles, we'll start with you, and then when you finish, come, come to Bill, and, and that is, how have you experienced your faith helping you to see God and not your customers as the source of your provision? thus removing the temptation to manipulate them, and um, has this resulted in a healthier and perhaps even more profitable relationship? Thank you for asking the question, Don. It, for me, it, it all goes back to thinking about the topics that are in the newspapers, whether it's in the Compass or the, the Charleston Mercury, but particularly in the Christian Carolina Compass. Um, when I think about how an article uh, written by someone of faith uh, can influence one of our readers, that is one of the, it's a tremendous blessing for me. And I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. So when I focus on making sure that the copy is good, everything else falls into place. And I pray for the, the lady who's selling ads, and I pray for my managing editor so everyone can do what he or she is supposed to do. And that way I'm not thinking about the next full page ad from the person who's walking next to me on the sidewalk. Um, yes, I think about that, but I think about it all in, in a balanced way. It helps me to realize that if I'm praying for all the components to be blessed, then the whole machine will move forward as God wants it to. Bill? Well, mine's a little different uh, take on the whole thing in that 
When I was 14, I read a book called Ice is Where You Find It, which was about the Coast Guard icebreaker Eastwood battling the Nazis in Greenland and Iceland during World War II. And I thought to myself, that sounds like fun. I think I'll try to do that. And I ended up going to the Coast Guard Academy and graduating. And lo and behold, my first ship was the East Wind. I made one trip to the Arctic and two to the Antarctic and had this wonderful career. Uh, moving along a few years, I've been the Coast Guard in 1968, nine years, Lieutenant Commander, love and life. And then I find out that I've lost a sight in my right eye to glaucoma, which A, glaucoma generally doesn't show up until you're after 40. B, it's much more likely in African-Americans than Caucasians. And C, there was no history of it in my family. The doctor said, oh, you're one in a million. It was probably a gene variant, but out you go from the Coast Guard. Well, all I'd wanted to be since I was 14 was Commandant of the Coast Guard. So the Coast Guard was my provisioning. That was my way of living life. And I enjoyed the first nine years commissioned very much. But all of a sudden, God changed the game. And uh, I will admit, I was really angry at God because at that point in my spiritual life, I was still thinking in the vein of, what did I do wrong? You know, why? Why did this happen to me? Because I was set on this wonderful course. So that event changed the nature of my life dramatically. And fortunately, I was reasonably well educated by the Coast Guard. I had three degrees, including a master's in electrical engineering, so I could get a job. But um, it made me think totally differently about living my life because I've never thought about working with clients in the classic sense of that word, I was just always in the Coast Guard. And I learned very early on that, and it grew over time, that God really is the provider of everything. Because I ended up working in seven different industries, was fortunate enough to be a founding partner of two companies and either CEO or chairman of the board of two public companies. And my third lesson of life was that everything moves at the speed of trust. And that's because relationships is what makes things move. And you don't have a relationship if you don't have trust. And yet, as I went through these industries and all these things, in my wildest imagination, I never could have envisioned working in capital-intensive industries and labor-intensive industries and industries with highly educated people and industries with high school graduates. And yet, through it all, uh, it became clear to me more and more over time that God is just opening doors and providing opportunities in ways that I had never even thought about. And uh, when we get to the second question, I'll tell you the rest of the story, but uh, <laughs> it, it truly brought home in a very dramatic way to me that God is the provider of all we need. Well, the second, second part of this discussion is uh, I want each one of them to talk about people who have influenced them along the way.
and, and influence their growth and evolution uh, along these lines. And so I'll let you just keep on going and pick up from that, and you go first on this one and then to Charles. All right, well, uh, it turns out that in 1973, they operated on the eye that I see of, Walter Reed. I was 35 then. And they said, well, we can do this operation seven times. Uh, three times. It'll last seven to ten years. So you do the arithmetic, 21 to 30, and that's 35. 56 to 65, I'm blind. Wife and four kids, no long-term disability because uh, it's a pre-existing condition. So um, that, that really makes you think, uh, how do I go about earning enough money to be sure that my four kids get to go to college and everybody's taken care of. And um, always with this thing in the back of my head that at some point here I'm going to go blind. Well, I was fortunate enough to have had a number of really wonderful mentors. The first was my high school principal, Wilmer A. DeHuff, who had 2,400 boys at Baltimore Polytechnic Institute. And in 1954, when the Board of Education thing came down, they said they were going to desegregate the schools. This was Baltimore, Maryland. There was a lot of pushback in that town. And Wilmer A. DeHuff called these 2,400 boys together. He said, now look, anybody that gets into Baltimore Poly gets here on the merits. And the merits are what they can do academically. It doesn't matter what color they are, what race, creed, anything. And we are not going to have any demonstrations, we're not going to have any riots, we're not going to have any picketing, and anybody that does is gone. I mean, it was an amazing speech in 1954, the 2,400 boys in a public high school from all around Charleston, I mean, all around Baltimore. There was none at Baltimore Poly. Went to Coast Guard Academy, and Rear Admiral Frank A. Leamy was the superintendent. And he'd been in World War II, really tough, tough guy. Tough guy. And one year at Parents' Weekend, he gets up on the steps of Hamilton Hall, the administrative building, and all the parents are lined up out there. And he says, you know, by law, I'm not allowed to tell you what this institution needs, such that you may be able to go leverage your relationships in Congress. But, and then he ran through the whole list of everything that was needed. All right. I mean, just an incredible, incredible uh, demonstration of leadership. And not to go too long, but the, the third one would be my late wife, Laura, who beat on me incessantly saying, Bill, you have Jesus in your head. You do everything in your head because God gave you a decent brain. You need Jesus in your heart. And of course, she's absolutely right, because until you know Jesus, it's, it's just an intellectual exercise. And uh, that made a huge bit of difference to me and in building my real relationship with Jesus. But then sort of the kicker in this whole story, um, remember when they operated on me at Walter Reed, they said, you're, you're one in a million, you have a very rare kind of glaucoma, da-da-da-da-da. Well, after I'd been out from that operation 20, 25 years, it struck me that I hadn't had another operation. And now I've gone 43 years since that operation and never had another operation. And the ophthalmologists say, you're one in a million. Well, one in a million times one in a million is one in a trillion. 
there are only 7 billion people on Earth, so that happening randomly is really, really, really unlikely. And I certainly choose to believe, and I really do believe this, that I had this nice path laid out to be Commandant of the Coast Guard, and 29 years old, my Lord said, that's not the right path for you. I don't know why he said that. I was really angry as hell for a number of years. But the other path worked out perfectly for me. I mean, it was just a wonderful career. And I had so many people along the way who were really good um, mentors. And when you look at the card on your table, on one side it says, we all face temptations of every kind, but God is faithful. He will always provide what we need to resist them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, that I use when I'm talking to people on a management team and say, that is my no excuses scripture. You're all going to be tempted. People will want to bribe you, talk about doing this, doing that, doing the other thing. But you remember, God is faithful. He will always have a way out for you. So don't tell me that you just had this overwhelming temptation sometimes. Yeah, we're all sinners, but it's there in Scripture that there is a way out. And if you run your business with that thought in your head all the time, I think you'll find, as I found, having learned that scripture pretty early, that it makes a huge difference in the relationships you build and in the quality of the companies that you build or lead. Charles? Thank you. I, I can look around this room and see a whole lot of individuals who've counseled me along the way, whether um, they were a, a scoutmaster, um, sailing instructors, uh, older friends at uh, Suwannee who welcomed me and showed me the right way, Friend, guys who were in my life group who've uh, picked me up when I've fallen. Uh, Prayer partners who helped me get through very tough situations. Neighbors who've taken me deer hunting for the first time. Got an addiction going. <laughs> um, wow. <clears throat> Cousins. Goodness. So they're, they're too numerous to list. But um, I guess to, to start off with um, my father... It took a long time for me to kind of figure out what he's saying because he didn't really say a lot to me about do X, Y, and Z, boy. It was more the example. And I was writing something the other day about a, an occasion where he didn't uh, miss the whole time we were out quail hunting. And usually, quail were quite a challenge for him. He could hit just about anything else, but quail kind of befuddled him. And... Uh, and I, I just kept telling him, wow, that was fantastic, fantastic. And we went and uh, had, a, had a drink with our host, and I kept, did, can you believe that he did that? My father would never brag. He would never go on about it. And it, it, it took me 15 years for it to sink in that um, maybe being an egotistical backslapper isn't the best thing for a Southern sportsman to be. Maybe just being a little bit more laid back and listening and let, it, let God be God and, and, and just guide your actions and not being so subsumed with oneself is a better way to go. And that so happened to be our last bird hunt we ever had together. Um, so that was a meaningful thing that 
finally clicked after a long time. Uh, Smith Hempstone, the former um, ambassador to Kenya, was a great journalist and a syndicated writer. And we would travel around in Kenya together, and he would go on and on about what it was to become a, an editor and to take care of your staff and to know what kind of um, writing would, would grab them. And he would go on and on um, when we would ride around and look at things, and he would ask me to describe them. And then he'd look over at me and shake his head. I said, the lead, the lead, the lead, the lead. And he said, you've got to grab them by the lapels and throw them against the wall. So that stuck with me, big time. Um, and then in terms of a spiritual foundation, um, there are many hands uh, at work in that. But I have to give credit to Al Zadig for taking me aside some four years ago when I was struggling with what's the next step for the newspaper. Um, at that time, the Evening Post owned it, and I just wasn't sure about a lot of things. And he said, well, let's just pray about that. I said, ow, ow, ow. Somebody's got to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm waiting for that person. That's what we're going to pray about, isn't it? I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And uh, he asked for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and I, there was something in my outlook that switched immediately to listening, to listening. And I got the, 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 a piece, uh, that, that piece that passes no understanding, that everything was going to be fine as long as I learned to listen for his nudging. And from that moment on, uh, more and more prayerful situations allowed me to get the understanding that the good Lord wanted me to start this Carolina Compass, the Christian newspaper, um, when I was in the Holy Land. Um, it allowed me to read things with a different set of ears, his ears. And, and that's the book here that I, I, I mentioned this in the compass. It's called Faith Afield, very short chapters. Um, but I've had wonderful experiences in the field after reading one of these short chapters, whether uh, reading the one on doubles and looked up and there are two bucks running by. It happened. Um, recently, I, I wrote something about the leaves crunching, listening to the leaves crunching in the field and how that's one of the most exciting things for a deer hunter. Well, I was with my nephew a few weeks ago, and we heard the leaves crunching, and there was the buck. And nephew is usually pretty jumpy, but he stayed still, and I was able to, to take that deer. And uh, it was a marvelous experience. Uh, but the whole idea of listening, it's not just the, the leaves, of course. We're listening for what he is saying, what he wants us to do. And, and again, I find it so important to... To make that time, we, um, we get in our male ruts of doing business and wanting to close the deal, whatever it might be, and we, we often just don't take that time that allows us to do it his way. 
and we'll all, we'll all str always struggle with it. But I, I just I know that by breaking it away from the usual rut and getting into something like this, or of course your Bible, um, Tim Keller, whatever it might be, you're going to be a heck of a lot better off. It's not just for Sundays. And this topic of mentoring, while I was listening to Charles and Bill talk, I, I was taken back. Uh, I, I may have mentioned, when I gave my testimony here, I may have mentioned a, a brief part of this, but just very briefly, um, my first business I started um, was, was a spectacular failure. I mean, I mean, it just you know set all sorts of records for for failing and left me um, you know deep in debt and and whatnot. But but was not as bad as it could have been because um, the uh, uh, company that was this was in Columbia, a company that was headquartered in Atlanta in the same business. Uh, I called them. And called the CEO. I didn't know. I mean, this was a big company. And they said, actually, we are interested in the Columbia market. So they came over and bought the assets and whatnot and, and kept it from being uh, nearly as bad as it might have been. But the interesting thing was this guy and his CFO came over, and um, they, they came in and we'd sent them all the, the financials and whatnot. And he said, uh, the CFO said two things. It turns out, I didn't know it at the time, both these guys were Christians. And um, he said, first of all, yeah, you're broke. You're, you're bankrupt in every sense of the word except the legal sense. And um, he said, but there's a way out of this. And we'll be glad to sit down with you and work with you and show you how to get out of this. And, um, and I mean, we, you know, we were at the point where we were prostrate. I mean, we were easily taken advantage of at that point. And, um, and, I, and I said, no, no, not interested in that. Just was ready to get out. And so they said, fine, and we went on and worked out the deal. But, but then the CFO on a subsequent meeting said, I really think you ought to let us show you what went wrong here because I got a feeling this isn't going to be your last rodeo, and, and you're just going to make the same mistakes again. And so they spent a lot of time um, getting me prepared for some future venture, which, which did come up. But, but I asked them, why are you doing this? I mean, why, why are you offering to help us save this enterprise when it's such an opportunity for you to get into a market you haven't been able to get into? And um, the guy who was the owner and, and the CEO and was third-generation owner, it was, I think, at that time the largest business in this industry in the country, um, he said, because it's my duty. He said, look, there are lots of guys like you out there. And what happens to you isn't going to affect me. He said, everybody with my last name, as far as I can think out, is fine. Uh, you know, we're doing just great. He said, but it's my duty if I run into young guys like yourselves to, to show you, and, and not to take advantage of this situation, but to show you how you can pull out of this, either with this or some later venture. And... Um, and, and as it turns out, it was his duty because he thought that that was one of the reasons God had blessed them so much was to make them a blessing to other people. And so it, as it happens, plenty of people who had gone to them to sell their businesses, they had, had kept the competition in business. And, and that affected the way I dealt with competition from the, the rest of my career. And, and even today, I, I get a lot of pleasure from 
helping younger guys with their businesses and whatnot. And but it started with that that those people in an, in a position to take absolute full advantage of myself and two partners who rather than doing that and on their own dime had flown their own company plane over and whatnot and and they came over knew, knowing that their first proposition was going to be to help us survive and that's really something I all the business people here I really encourage you to think about your role is if you've got a business that's rolling along pretty well towards other people in business but but now what I'd like to do is open it up anybody who's got any questions of, of our two panelists here would like to delve a little deeper into what they said um, please raise your hand and, and they'll be glad to try to address any questions you have uh, Tim okay yeah and thank you and, and one thing that, that another little tidbit and I don't even remember who told me but it changed the way I managed and, and I've forgotten where I learned it but um if you've got good people under you um, you were talking about this guy like to chew people out um, somebody told me a long time ago when somebody makes a mistake commiserate with them you don't need to fuss at them because if they're good they feel worse about it than you do so commiserate with them when they make mistakes and and let them know that 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 you understand and that you understand they didn't want to do it and whatnot excuse me and if they um <laughs> if they um understand that you care about them and that you aren't going to fuss at them just because they made a mistake which is an honest mistake then um then everything will be okay with them excuse that phone call uh, but hank hank i think we're out of time thank you thank you I hope that was helpful. It always seems too short to me. It seems like we, ought, you know, we need another half hour to get into questions and whatnot. But um, I want to end by you know, reminding you there's this card here, and there's a statement on the card that um, I want to go back to something that, that Bill said that really is worth writing down. Everything moves at the speed of trust. Isn't that what you said? Third lesson in life, everything moves at the speed of trust. I think we could put that on the mirror in the bathroom, look at it every day, remind ourselves, and especially with God, that if we're honest and if we're willing to, to admit, God, I am not trusting you with this right now. I haven't got the trust that it takes. That's a trusting statement to make. It's just being honest with God and, and knowing that He can handle that. We all want to be able to say, yeah, I trust you and I'll do it, but we don't always find ourselves able to do that. And I stand here as one who will admit that. And my wife will second it. So um, everything moves at the speed of trust. And it will not move properly until there is real trust there. It may go forward, it may look like it's succeeding, but if it's not being done where both parties are trusting one another, something's gonna mess up. You can be sure of it. And 
that goes with that part on your card that says plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. That if we will check things out with people that we trust, counselors we trust, and who will be honest with us, we're not going to mess up if we'll heed what they advise us.